Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Darby Toth, a technical field services representative with Western United Dairies. This week, we're bringing you a PRF update from our friends over at Blimling, as well as a sit down with Anya Radabaugh and Aubrey Betancourt talking about the new Landflex program mentioned in our update a couple weeks ago. We think there's a lot of great information in this episode, so we'll get right to it. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our communities safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. Pasture, rangeland, and forage insurance. A two-minute overview. As if ranchers and forage growers' jobs weren't hard enough, there's one thing that can make a sizable difference year to year in their margins that is out of their control. Rainfall. Pasture, rangeland, and forage insurance is a game changer. PRF is an insurance program that allows producers to put a floor under historical average rainfall. It's growing in popularity because the program is so simple to use and because a vast amount of the U.S. is forage and grazing acreage. Here's how it works. PRF allows the producer to protect themselves against a lack of rainfall in a roughly 17 by 17 mile area that your operation falls in. You can protect your acreage when your rainfall falls below 70 to 90% of normal for your area. So if normal rainfall is an index reading of 100 and you protect a coverage level of 90% of average, anything below that level could be a payout. Sign up is only available in a specific time frame every year from September 1st to December 1st for protection on the following year. So give us a call soon so we can help you get started. Let's go through the decisions that will need to be made. First, pick your acreage's intended use, grazing or haying. And by the way, haying ground can be irrigated or non-irrigated. Second, pick your coverage level from 70% of average rainfall to 90% of average rainfall. Third. Pick your productivity factor. This can inflate or deflate the value per acre you are protecting. Fourth, select the time frame you most need rainfall in. You can choose a minimum of two and a maximum of six two-month time periods called intervals. Fifth, choose how many acres you want in each selected interval. Then you're good to go. So there's a quick overview of PRF. We know you may have some questions, so if you'd like to chat or get started with PRF, please give us a call at 312 492-4273, and we hope to hear from you soon. Hi folks, hope you had a great week. It was another wild ride in the cheese market. Uh, we recovered for most of the week, only to fall pretty, sh- pretty sharply on Friday. We did, however, still end higher for the week on blocks at 175. That's up 16 and a half cents. However, on barrels, we closed a half cent lower at 149.75. Context say activity is pretty seasonally busy. We're heading into the holidays, um, but more or less in line with expectations. Um, No one seems especially short fresh cheddar, and certainly there was enough supplies uh, to to feed the buyer's needs in uh, Chicago or at the spot market today. Quite a few loads of barrels traded. Uh, Moving over to butter, we gained a penny and a half to 195. Uh, We uh, hear of difficulties finding extra butter this week as um, manufacturers, marketers, and retailers rush to get the right product in the right place ahead of the ahead of the holidays. And at the same time, grocers are encouraging um, additional sales with some increased promotional activity. 
Um, so all of that bodes well. I think the question now is once this holiday demand subsides in the coming weeks, um, will the industry still want to build inventory or build stocks of butter at these upper end of the price range? So we will have to keep an eye on that. Uh, for non-fat dry milk, we reversed course just a bit this week. We lost two cents down to $1.55. Demand seems to be fairly robust. However, there's also plenty of supply coming to the spot markets to meet that demand. Um, tight global supplies generally continue to attract uh, a buyer's interest for U.S. product, uh, but we are seeing a little bit of um, signs of elevated prices potentially encountering uh, some pushback. We do ha uh, see another global dairy trade event next week, uh, so that'll give us another reset on international price levels. Finally, to finish out, um, we did get a World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimate uh, Report from USDA this week. They pegged U.S. corn production for the 2021 season um, at 15.062 bushels. That was higher than their October estimate and just above average expectations. U.S. ending stocks were reported at 1.493 billion pounds. That's down from last month's estimate. And um, we are kind of nearing the end of harvest here. 84% of the corn harvested. On the heels of that report, uh, we did see uh, futures prices rise in the nearby with a little extra boost from strong ethanol demand. Hope you have a fabulous week. Please reach out with any questions. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making an improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at YosemiteFarmCredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Well, hello everyone. We are excited to have our CEO, Anya Radaba here, as well as our Director of Sustainability, Aubrey Betancourt. Thanks for having us. Well, we're gonna talk about something that is just dropped in the update this last week and is pretty exciting and has taken a lot of, I think, back end time for both of you, a lot of effort and something that we're really hoping can help some dairy producers. And that is the new uh, Land Flex program. Uh, maybe if one of you wants to introduce it to us and then we can kind of go from there. Sure, I can go ahead and start. Uh, the concept here is that dairy farmers can be paid for some of their sacrifices on their ability to flex their land, um, either through fallowing, idling, um, or some of their groundwater and surface water exchanges. I think that um, there is fallowing already occurring that dairy farmers are not being paid anything for. So Aubrey and I set out to try to reconcile that as we're going into what looks like with the current hydrology, a terrible water year in 2022. So the concepts, uh, there are two major facets of the program. The first one we're calling the surface water transfer program, which is of course the, this is the, the big sexy enigma where we have if, if dairy farmers or their districts might have some surface water that they can make available 
towards a surface water transaction and exchange to the buyer, in this case, the state water contractors, um, that is something that they are offering approximately $1,000 an acre foot for. Um, if the dairy farmer also has legally available groundwater to be pumped and transfer per their local Sigma rules and local county ordinances, the state water contractors are also offering $1,000 an acre foot for that. So there's a lot of caveats to that, but that's the first part and the first facet of the program. The second piece is what we're calling the demand reduction program. And this has to do with groundwater staying in basin and affects significantly high priority Sigma basins only. This is the first time and this is something Aubrey and I are really proud of having negotiated with the state and the state water contractors where we have monetized the ability of farmers to keep water in the ground. And again, the demand reduction program that comes through idling land, the farmer in this case will be paid to idle that land not a whole lot of conditions for that. There is some value in that, what we're setting at approximately $750 an acre foot. That's for particularly Sigma basins that have a lot of domestic well priorities. Uh, the state of California has a big interest in making sure that we mitigate potential impacts to those domestic wells. And so it's been um, kind of an exciting time in, in the face of extreme challenges that we've actually been able to establish a value now moving forward for our local groundwater. Aubrey, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think you've covered it very well, Anya. I think, um, you know, what we tried to approach this from the standpoint of one, uh, doing the right thing, two, doing the right, you know, and, that, and let me rephrase, that's doing the right thing for our producers, doing the right thing for our communities in which we live. Uh, and doing the right thing, um, you know, as it comes to solving water problems for the state. I mean, this was a this was a huge part of this sustainability mantra that we've talked about so many times, Darby, and, and even in the in the update that this whole idea of dairy leading in the water space as a contributor to the overall solution, and in so doing, positioning ourselves as uh, for industry and for our producers to take care of our own. Uh, uh, issues as well. And so this is really a tremendous opportunity from a leadership standpoint. Uh, and, and, um, and it's been um, an amazing uh, opportunity for, for Western to be leading in this space, to be um, bringing the voice of the dairyman into the table at the water space, uh, talking about how we're going to not only achieve some drought resilience, some of our goals within our basins around water quality and water quantity, uh, but most, most importantly, uh, really taking an opportunity to um, establish and, and acknowledge that private property right and that it has value. Uh, and in so doing, this becomes uh, goals that are completely achievable and ag is part of the solution and not seen as part of the problem. Well, thank a lot of times, oh, a lot of times, ahead, in these, it's okay. A lot of times in these sustainability spaces, um, there are kind of a catchphrase around being sustainable and that almost always, at least is in the spaces that I work and listen to my farmers in, means that they have to shell out more money. And this is a really good example of the opposite being true. We are now in a position to be paid to be sustainable and like Aubrey said, take care of our own communities. Well, and I think that that's what I was gonna add before I interrupted your uh, next sentence earlier is that 
it's it's a different position from what I understand than the positions that that farmers have been in in the past when we're talking about sustainability. Wholeheartedly agree. This is real money, um, and it's real money to engage in a much more sophisticated approach around water rights. And I think that you know Aubrey and I have been. You know, we really hope the program works. We hope that a lot of people that can put their hands up to engage in it because it is 100% voluntary. Um, and I can go briefly into what these contracts look like if we're maybe ready for some Q&A. I was going to say, maybe we'll, we'll go over a Q&A and you guys gave a great overview, but kind of get down to some of the nuts and bolts questions that we think that producers are going to have. And as we kind of kick that off, I think one of the big questions is, and it's reiterated, is who is going to be the buyer for this? The buyer in this case is the state water contractors. They are a coalition of 27 public water agencies who provide water to 27 million people and 750 acres of farmland. Although I would point out that that seems to be mostly in the north. This is a really new space for them. Um, the water world is very territorial. Uh, we've, we've learned that both the soft and hard way. But I think that um, this is a space that no one's ever really tried before in the central San Joaquin Valley. So they were really anxious to see what was out there. And again, you touched on this before, but I think it's something that we can, we can touch on again. What, what is the nuts and bolts difference between these two options or programs? The major difference is that the surface water transfer program is designed for those dairy farmers who have access to surface water or transferable groundwater. Uh, the caveat there is that there has to be some way of accounting for that along the state water project, whether it's the California Aqueduct, the Kern County Water Bank, there are a number of ways and tie-ins that the state water contractors have um, to access this, but that's why we're encouraging people to really look at that program and if they think it might work, then put your hand up. The second program and the main difference between the two and the demand reduction program is designed for those dairy farmers who are in white areas and are utilizing groundwater only to feed their feed their feedstuffs. So the demand reduction program essentially pays them to engage in land idling to manage the health and well-being of their sigma basins. And why is there a price difference per acre foot when we're looking at these two programs? The main reason that the surface water transfer program brings $1,000 an acre foot estimated versus the $750 an acre foot on the demand reduction side is because the surface water program can essentially reach more people. The municipals can use it all the way along the state water project, um, you know, maybe way up from Santa Clara all the way down south to Kern and beyond to Metropolitan. The demand reduction program is meant to mitigate domestic well losses for the disadvantaged community groups um, and it's just essentially as a smaller uh, discounted area. So if I'm a farmer and I think that one of these programs could be a good fit for me, what do I need to have ready to consider entering into a contract? Three basic things. Uh, we are asking for proof of farmed acreage that you intend to follow using FSA uh, 578. It's a form that you report your acreage on. Uh, the other alternative we have in there is the prior year's pesticide use permits that's provided by your local ag commissioner. Um, and then finally, um, on the acreage report, which I believe, Aubrey, is another federal form, a CCC 576. Any of these three options is, is an 
acceptable way to kind of prove that you were growing X number of acres of alfalfa and that you intend to fallow X number of acres of alfalfa. We were really um, keen on, on allowing dairy farms of all sizes and all production types to be able to enter the program if they chose. The second piece would be a blockchain technology or groundwater uh, metering, something in the form of like a Landsat IRTC model that will be required at the end of the savings uh, to demonstrate that, that, that the area you said was going to be idled is idled. And then the last thing is proof of ownership or proof of lease on land. Okay, and what if I have winter wheat already planted and I have pre-irrigated the land I would intend to idle in the program? Pre-irrigation is fine and harvesting that wheat crop is also fine. The point of difference on the contract uh, is that from the date of the contract forward to end, which is a year long, there would be no irrigation of that acre that you intend to idle. That, that's what we're preventing. So however you can demonstrate that, you know, if you, let's say you had that winter wheat crop planted and you intend to harvest it uh, February 1st, you would want to make sure that February 2nd, that was the date that you intended to begin the enrollment. And what does a rolling enrollment mean? So when we announced in the update, and this is something that, um, you know, Aubrey and I were trying to count where our victories were. Um, when we started the process, we thought that we would be really finite in you know, like November 1st through October 31st. But what we're seeing is that based on demand, and again, because a lot of the winter wheat has already been planted, we um, asked the state water contractors to initiate a rolling enrollment, which means that the dairy farmer can choose the most appropriate date based on his need, his hydrology, his production practices to enroll in the program. So if, again, like I said, you're projecting that you, you want to plant and harvest a certain amount of acreage and then you're okay to idle it, those are dates that would be critical uh, for you to point out when you submit your application to the state water contractors. Um, I think that it's important to caveat in this moment that if the state's hydrologic situation changes significantly, obviously the, de the demand by the buyers would change as well. Right now, they're really short. But, you know, uh, we have a few good storms. I, you know, I don't want to overpromise and undercommit, but and right now they're looking at a big shortage that can change in the next few weeks. So if you're interested, <laughs> make sure you, you get with Aubrey and I right away. Could I, I just want to add, oh, go ahead. Sorry, oh, Aubrey. Uh, I just, I just want to add that I think what Anya's keying in on here is very important. A lot of the, the stipulations in the last couple of, of Q and A's here have really been focused around how we really focused on creating flexibility for the farmer and a straightforward process here, um, as transparent and straightforward as it can be. So it's this direct engagement. Um, it's, it's allowing the flexibility for the uh, uh, enrollment on a rolling basis. It's also allowing for, um, and I think it's really important to realize that um, you're allowed to harvest your wheat under certain insurance programs that hasn't been allowed loud in the past. And so we really worked to make this a, a truly flexible program for the farmer that was a straightforward transaction that translated into real water savings uh, for our water users in our communities. And so really the, the it, again, kind of coming back to uh, some of these, these details, if anybody's looking for the boogeyman in the details, um, we worked really hard to uh, put a flashlight on them before we, um, 
before we engaged any further. And so we, I, I think we've done a pretty good job here, Anya, in, in trying to make this as transparent and straightforward a process as possible. And if anyone has any questions, just, just to reiterate uh, Anya's uh, point, please reach out to either of us. And just one, a couple more things I want to touch on. Thanks, Aubrey, before we wrap up. And that really leads yourself back to the direct contact that you're talking about. If, if a farmer was interested in shortening a contract to account for 2023's potential need to plant in October or November, is that something that would be possible? Potentially. Um, that, that's an area I would suggest is gray at the moment. That would be between the buyer <clears throat> and the dairy farmer to negotiate. So uh, you'd want to make that stipulation right up front that if you needed less than a year on that idled ground so that you could get your next year's crop in, I would really want to identify that in your contract because each of these contracts will be individual, um, although we can touch on circumstances that might lead to broader coalitions, which is something that's kind of just come up in the last 24 hours. Um, but that, that individual situation, because I know, um, you know, that was the first thing Frank Mendonca asked is, well, what if I want to prep my ground and pre-irrigate for 2023? I'm like, we really need to put that down in your list of interests when you're negotiating this, because I think it seems reasonable and I think they're going to think it's reasonable, but we want to make sure that as we've engaged in this program, that we're being, you know, honest brokers and that if we guarantee them a year of an additional five acre feet per acre, whatever that looks like, um, that, you know, we're, we're, we're doing our part. Well, and kind of wrapping up those direct questions, there's just a couple more about the location of the land idling on the property, as well as planting a cover crop on the idled acres. Would you mind touching on both those before we wrap up? Absolutely. Um, so for example, if I wanted to grow 300 acres of alfalfa rotationally on my farm, but I wanted to follow a different piece of my land to account for that rotation, those things are possible. So if the farmer can attest to the buyer that they, the buyer would be receiving X acres of idled ground, as long as the farmer executes X acres of idling, that's really where we want to be specific. So if you need to, you know, if you planted alfalfa in one corner of the field last year, you can certainly plant it in a different corner of the field. We all know that's really important for soil health. Um, but as long as you are idling at some point, what you're saying you're going to idle right now, that should be fine. So I want to jump in here real quick on why this is important. And I, from a, from a practice standpoint, as I'm talking to growers all day, every day, and as I'm talking to different water leaders and, and we are looking down the road, you know, towards how does, how does land idling fit into our crop rotation and planning? And I think what's so important here is this isn't about like chemotherapy. It's not, it's not some terminal disease that we're all having to prep for. This really is about engaging this idea of rotational land idling with a value ascribed to it um, as part of our tool in our toolkit as we adjust to different hydrologies, as we adjust to different um, scenarios and, and water supply scenarios going forward. So really want to encourage our producers to, to, to think of it in that term and, and really try to, um, you know, I, I, we're all practical. I farm myself. This is something that I'm even thinking through through my long-term planning is how am I going to build this in, especially knowing that there's a value assigned to it, especially knowing that I have opportunities with good partners in the water world assigned to it. Now through programs like this to pilot like this, um, how is this now a part of my tool, my toolkit uh, as I continue to, to develop my, my, my business and my farm? 
and meet new demands and new challenges. Well, thank you both very much. Anya, is there anything else in Aubrey that you want to touch on before we kind of wrap up here? Um, I know one of the things that, and, and, and Aubrey, I don't want us to get or sound like we're too excited about land following and idling, but what we are really excited and passionate about is that for the first time in history, uh, this program designates a value and a hydrologic purpose for groundwater in the central San Joaquin Valley. And that's, that's never been done before. People have been pumping it and moving it for some time, which is, um, I would suggest, pretty controversial. But if the groundwater doesn't represent any value to anyone but the farmer themselves and the economy that's created from, that, from the pumping on that acre, then really what's the point of Sigma? And if you think about the benefits to being enrolled in a partnership like this for the disadvantaged community groups and our own domestic wells, people often forget that dairy farmers are drinking the same water um, that surrounds their communities. And so um, really building that baseline value has been, um, it's been a real source of pride for Aubrey and I. Well, thank you both again very much. We appreciate it. And I just want to remind our members and listeners that if they have any questions, please reach out to either you or Aubrey. I'm, I'm sure you're more than willing to talk about it with them. Absolutely. All the time. Right. Thanks again. Have a great day. Thank you. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Seen and Heard. As always, we want to thank our partners over at Blimling. We also want to thank our CEO, Anya Radabaugh, and our Director of Sustainability, Aubrey Betancourt. Remember that you can always reach out to us with any questions or content requests at wud.pod at gmail.com. Melissa can be reached at mlema at wudairies.com, and I can be reached at darby at wudairies.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform, and have a great week, everyone. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email 
at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.